It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Missouri off an open week. I heard the other day, like, you shouldn't call it a bye week because a bye week means you get to advance to the next round automatically. Yeah, idle week, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, off week, open week, idle week, whatever it is. But we don't take off weeks here at the PowerMizzou.com podcast. And we are going to talk some actual SEC football and Mizzou football here pretty soon. But first of all, I want to call your attention to track my implants, medical technology moving as fast as our smartphones these days. More and more people are receiving medical device implants such as knees, shoulders, hernia mesh, pacemakers, and others. These devices are saving lives, but just like car parts, they can also have recalls. I would imagine if you have a medical device implanted in your body that has a recall, you would like to know. So visit trackmyimplants.com to learn more and have peace of mind with real-time notifications. Again, trackmyimplants.com. And with that, Gabe DeArmond here, Mitchell Forty there, and we are going to talk some Missouri football. Missouri and South Carolina, 11 a.m. local time, uh, noon where we are going to be in the other Columbia, and we're going to talk to Wes Mitchell from GamecockCentral.com about this game. Wes, how you doing, man? Good. How's it going, guys? Not too bad. Uh, appreciate you taking some time. So this is the uh, this is the most broad question I can come up to start with like four weeks in what have you learned about South Carolina what do you know about this team yeah it's, it's kind of hard to answer and I think we've kind of talked about it here every week is, is kind of that question of what what is this football team you know I, I think you look at uh, their four football games and you look at the two wins and you say uh, wow you know this is a, a team that uh, can be pretty explosive on offense can make plays down the field um has been actually really good in the running game in, in those two ball games, and has kind of a, a faulty defense that maybe isn't quite what you would call a shutdown defense, but but makes some plays and you know puts their team in a position to win. And then you look at the two losses and you say, uh, you know, this team doesn't look like a good football team at all. They make self-inflicted um, errors that that sort of keep them out of ball games. They've been really honestly kind of dominated in the two losses, and and obviously. You know, the opponent plays into that, but I, I think the uh, interesting thing and, and probably the frustrating thing for the coaching staff and the fans is that, um, you know, it, it's just it's been so many mistakes that at times weren't even necessarily caused by the opponent. It's just more, um, you know, not executing well in some of these bigger ball games. And obviously, you know, you, you can't beat Georgia if you throw a pick six uh, on the very first drive of the game where the ball goes off a running back's hands and, you know, Early on in Kentucky, you fumble inside the 10. Uh, you turn the ball over four times against, uh, you know, one of the better Kentucky teams we've seen in some time. So uh, this is a team that really honestly uh, needs to find itself because uh, nobody around here really quite knows exactly what they're looking at yet. Yeah, quick counterpoint. You can maybe beat Georgia that way if Georgia drops the ball on the one-yard line, which <laughs> it's now done twice this year, and actually it hasn't hurt them either time. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you, you look at the game with South Carolina and, um, that they Georgia played, you know, they played their game, and you know, yeah, they they were made a few mistakes along the way, but for the most part, you know, South Carolina in these bigger games has not been able to put either one of their opponents out of their comfort zone. You know, Georgia wants to run the football; they want to get downhill, they want to throw the quick, you know, pass game to the outside, the screen game, and stuff like that. And 
But, you know, you look at Kentucky, they want to get the ball to Benny Snell. They want to be able to put the game on their defense and run the football and sort of pound away at you. So if you just sort of look at the game flow with both of those matchups, South Carolina was never able to get either one of those opponents out of their comfort zone, whereas on the other side, South Carolina's playing from behind. And This is really a team that, from what we've seen so far offensively, um, they can make plays when they're sort of in that position of power where you know they're able to run the football. Uh, you have to defend every part of the field, and uh, they kind of have their whole playbook at their disposal. But when they're playing from behind, they have to put the game on Jake Bentley's shoulders more. They have to throw the ball more. They lose some of their balance, and uh, that's when they've not been very good. Wes, you mentioned uh, Jake Bentley. Um, you know, I know he obviously left that game against Kentucky with a knee injury. Will Muschamp said earlier this week that he has practiced and, and said he uh, will likely suit up. But do you all, first of all, have any update on uh, on his status? And, and do you, is there a legitimate concern that he uh, he might be less than 100%? Yeah, I think there's definitely legitimate concern that he's less than 100%. You know, they've, they've said they expect him to play. Um, you know, I, I think it's still probably a day-to-day thing where they're going to check him on game day and, and see how he feels because, um, you know, I, I think it is something that's brought him pain from what I've heard and uh, will be something to monitor. So, you know, I, I would have a hard time seeing Bentley, you know, if he does play, being completely 100%. I think this will be something to monitor throughout the game does you know does it affect him because he's he's not known as a runner obviously but uh getting that extra yardage on you know on a broken play extending a play really you know watching Bentley throughout his career I think that's much more a part of his game than most people sort of uh, give him credit for so to me that would be something to keep an eye on and you know you looked at the end of the game against Kentucky he really wasn't following through on his throws and and sort of transferring his weight through that that front foot so i think sort of does it affect his mechanics or not is something else i would be looking for on saturday well mitchell and i were talking about this before we called you and like i i know south carolina fans are kind of down on bentley right now and the numbers are, are down he's thrown a few more picks all that um we've seen this missouri defense make guys <laughs> that are far worse quarterbacks than jake bentley look pretty good this year so <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm interested to see. Like I I did a Q and A on your guys' site, and I said I could see this being a game. Jake Bentley throws for 400 yards, and one of your fans responded and said, "Are we playing a double header?" Which I thought oh, was a, I thought was a good line. But like, how much? It, it kind of leads into how much wind is out of the sails. And like, you correct me if I'm wrong here. This game can can make or break South Carolina. I mean, if South Carolina loses this game. Every single thing they thought about before the season and everything we thought about them is now off the table, right? Yeah, and I, you know, I hate the phrase "must win" because I think we just we throw it out there, you know, as a as media members and fan bases, it just gets thrown out there like crazy. But um, but I mean, guys, if, if they're going to, like you said, if they're going to meet any of their goals or their top goals, at least for this season. They need to go win this football game. And uh, I think, uh, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, you, you just don't really know what this football team is yet because, they, they I mean, they're making mistakes against Kentucky that your your top guy, I mean, Debo Samuel dropped a pass. Uh, Brian Edwards dropped two passes. Like, these guys don't do that normally. And uh, it's, it's just sort of, for some of these guys, it's been uncharacteristic. So, you don't really know, you know, could this team – they started slow last year and then got on a roll and, um, you know, won some games. And next thing you know, lo and behold, they have nine 
wins with a win over Michigan to finish the year, and everybody turned around and looked at each other that was a South Carolina fan and was like, wow, this was actually a good season. So, you know, it's, e- it's easy for the fan bases to forget and get caught up in a one- or two-game stretch, certainly. And the fan base is in a – they're in a bad place right now. So, they – South Carolina needs this win, I think, as a team to hit their win totals, possibly, to have, still have a chance to hit their win totals they were aiming for. But I think this fan base, from what I've seen on our message boards, they can really use some good news as well. Mm-hmm. Wes, uh, one thing, you know, in kind of looking at South Carolina's uh, results from the season that I was struck by is the, the difference in rushing totals between their wins and their losses. I think it's like mm-hmm. they're averaging 268 yards per game uh, rushing in their wins and like 93 in their losses. First of all, just I'm curious if you think that's kind of a, uh, you know, if it's like symptomatic, like they are uh, – they're losing because they're not rushing the ball or if it's kind of the other way around and secondly just you know how important is is getting uh getting that rushing game going this week especially if jake benley's a little banged up yeah i think in some cases that's kind of been more about uh, just the way the game has played out they did they did sort of abandon the run a bit against georgia when they were behind but at the same time you know georgia georgia is really the only team that i think has had the advantage over them up front when you look at you know, Carolina's offensive lineman in the running game versus their opponent, you know, front six, front seven, whatever. Uh, so, you know, I, I think uh, some some of that is because the Georgia game sort of got out of hand and they had terrible rushing numbers in that game, so it mm-hmm. kind of skews it a little bit. But, um, but yeah, certainly, like I said earlier, if, you know, when this offense is really clicking, it's because they've established the run and then they're just – they're way more comfortable dialing up about anything on, you know, second down. You can stretch the if, – if you know you have a running game behind you, you can stretch the field on second and short because you know you can come right back to a run on third and short to get the first down. And it just, to me, has seemed like the offense, when the running game is there, has been way more wide open. They've been way more willing to try and take shots down the field because they know they can rely on that running game, even if the shot play doesn't hit. So – you know, I think everybody just seems more comfortable from the play calling all the way down to the players when they've been able to get that running game going. And then, you know, when you're up in a game as well, obviously you you run the ball more and more and more as the game goes on. So that maybe skews the stats a little bit more that way too. But against Coastal and against Vanderbilt, they were getting explosive plays in the running game very early in those ball games. So when they were able to do that, to me, that sort of created a little bit of momentum within the offense and it created confidence, and then they were able to use that to then hit big plays down the field in the passing game. Talking with Wes Mitchell from Gamecock Central, Missouri, and South Carolina at 11 a.m. on Saturday. And uh, Wes wants to switch sides of the ball here. And Derek Dooley told us on Tuesday that South Carolina might have the best defensive line in the country. Now, I'm not going to ask you if that's true because I'm 99.9% sure it's not even the best defensive line Missouri's going to play in the next two weeks because they go to Alabama after this. But how good is South Carolina's defensive front? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they've been solid, I, I think. Um, you know, Javon Kinlaw has been great. Um, yeah, he, he's a kid that came in last year as a junior college transfer. and Really, it's kind of the classic case of the JUCO that – is sort of feeling his way around at the beginning of his career, but then now he's in his second year. He's really come on strong. He actually came on pretty strong late last season. Um, I, I think he actually had a, a batted pass in the South Carolina-Missouri game early on where uh, they ended up getting picked off, and sort of you saw some of his athleticism last year then. But 
he's been very, very good for him. He's actually, you know, we have that pro football focus um, uh, subscription now on Rivals, and he's South Carolina's highest graded player for this season, and it's really not even close. So, but yeah, he's been good. Other than that, they really miss DJ Wanham, honestly. You know, he was sort of an all SEC candidate uh, there at their buck position, which is like a hybrid DN, D tackle, or hybrid uh, outside linebacker DN spot. He's been out since uh, the middle of the coastal game. So they've really missed him. Some other guys have filled in and been, they've been fine. Like, I wouldn't say they've been a problem, but uh, also I wouldn't say they've gotten a ton of huge plays. Um, from their defensive line as a whole. Either Bryson Allen Williams has been good. He was more of like a Sam linebacker, but with Wanham out, they slid him back down to Buck, so he's having to play more defensive end than probably they planned on prior to the season. So those guys have been good, I think, but I, I don't know if I would call them the, <laughs> the best D-line in the country. <laughs> Actually, expanding on your point about Ken Law, I just, I just wrote a little like matchup preview using the pro football focus numbers, and I think – uh, if I remember correctly, he's like the second highest graded pass rushing defensive interior <laughs> lineman in the country. So, you know, maybe that that that's like one point in Derek Dooley's assessment, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, he might be looking at those same numbers. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the kid is, uh, that's a very niche really category, good. but he yeah. is good. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Going, going back to you mentioned earlier that, that South Carolina's, you know, losses and have kind of been characterized by kind of just some, some sloppy mistakes. And I know they're, uh, mm-hmm. they're minus four in the turnover uh, margin this season. I think they've lost that turnover battle in like each of the last three games. And they, they've been a pretty heavy, heavily penalized team. Do you, what do you think that that kind of reflects back on it? And is that something that, you know, is fixable in one week? Um, I think it's fixable. I don't know if it's fixable in one week. Uh, you know, it, it's been weird because they, you look at this program and sort of what Will Muschamp is kind of trying to build, like the pillars he's trying to build the program on, and getting turnovers, forcing turnovers, has been one of the key reasons they've been able to uh, sort of progress the last two years. And um, I was trying to pull up the exact numbers real quick for you, but I couldn't find it. But um, they've been right at the top of the SEC the last two seasons um, in forced turnovers. I mean, they're right up there with, with Alabama, I think, last year. And if you add them, if you add together the turnovers for the last two years, it's tops during that span in the entire conference. So uh, this has been a little bit different for them. You know, they weren't really a heavily penalized team last year either, I don't believe. So um, they've kind of gotten away from what got them there. You know, you look at the fact that Muschamp was, you know, it's been talked about here a ton inherited a three-win team, then they won six games, and then won nine games. I would say one of the easily biggest reasons that they were able to do that was that they were able to get key turnovers in big spots. And a lot of times they'd be giving up. If you looked at just the total yardage allowed numbers defensively, you know, they're, they're middle of the pack. Right? Or a lot of games, the yardage numbers would be the same, but South Carolina would end up winning the game sometimes – fairly handily because they were able to create these turnovers that, that really changed the game. So if you, to me, the, the reason they're two and two right now, um, I'd say part of that is the fact that instead of being the team to take advantage of turnovers, they're turning the ball over themselves and then not able to, to get, you know, forced turnovers, I guess. 
Here's my theory on South Carolina West, and I know it's not popular in doing what we do, working on the internet to like play the middle ground. Mm-hmm. You've got to have this extreme take that everything's great or everything's yeah. awful. Um, but South Carolina, I mean, everything you just said describes South Carolina's game against Missouri perfectly last year. Like Missouri was up ten nothing, yeah. was had all the momentum, was dominating that game, and then three plays changed that entire game. It ended up being thirty one thirteen, but it was a game where you go. If they just don't kick the ball to Debo Samuel, Missouri might win that game. So I think South Carolina's maybe not as good as as nine wins looked last year because they got, whether it's a few breaks or managed to win some close games. But I also don't mm-hmm. think they're quite as bad as, you know, two and two and 41-17 to Georgia because some of those things, maybe it's law of averages, I don't know. But the truth is probably yeah. somewhere in the middle about this team. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I think, we're always learning about even even when you watch every play and every game, you know, like you guys do for Missouri and I do for South Carolina, you're still learning, you know, as the year goes on and they obviously need to clean some things up. I think, you know, even from half to half, you look at you look at this defense and they were I mean, they were bad against Missouri, um or excuse me, against Kentucky last week defensively in the first half. Um we, we always count up explosive plays, uh gotten and explosive plays allowed because it's something Muschamp always talks about. And uh, Kentucky had 10 explosive plays against South Carolina last week, and all 10 were in the first half. So they uh, wow. they shut out Kentucky basically in the second half and, you know, locked down their running game in the second half. And it, it's just been it's been very, very inconsistent to this point. And a lot of that was missed tackles, uh, miscommunications, guys getting out of their assignments and trying to do too much. So, um, so yeah, I, I think – it, a team when a team looks great, it's rarely quite as good as we think it is, and when they look awful, they're rarely as bad as as they look. Even though, like you said, that's not popular to say that on the message boards right now. But, um, but I mean, we'll we'll see as the year goes on what this team really is. But either way, I, I think this is a this is a key game for this team, and probably two fairly even teams. Honestly, that it could again come down to which team is going to be able to create a few turnovers and create a few big plays and and take this game over. One quick point, Mitch, before you get to your last question for Wes. I mean, he said he watches every play for South Carolina. I'll be honest, man. Sometimes I'm up getting coffee. Sometimes we're cleaning hot dog juice off our pants. You know, I mean, things just happen. (laughs) That's another, that's a whole other story. But I think between the two of us, we watch every play. Yeah, probably one of us has seen every play. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Wes, just wanted to touch on a, a couple other injury notes uh, that, that I've kind of seen throughout the week. I know that uh, Brian Edwards, who's Carolina's leading receiver, uh, got a bit banged up against Kentucky. And uh, I, I, I heard also that uh, Will Muschamp said on the conference call that a couple other players, uh, Eldridge Thompson, linebacker, JTE, BS safety, are going to be missing this game. Uh, just for Missouri fans who might not know, are, are those uh, kind of key absences and also just kind of an update on Edwards' situation? Yeah, Brian Edwards, from what I was told um, last night, should be good to go on Saturday. Uh, you know, we'll see if, if he's hobbled at all or if it's something that's sort of cleared up for him. So it, now if if he is, you know, slowed, then that that's a key guy for them. You know, Debo Samuel is the guy everybody talks about, but Brian Edwards and Shy Smith, for that matter, their other two starting receivers, um, you know, very, very key pieces in what they try to do. Uh, the other guys, Eldridge Thompson, has been, I think he's more than likely out. He has been just sort of a backup piece at linebacker, so it hurts their depth, but doesn't really hurt what they do at that position. 
Yeah, JT eBay, you know, he, he started all four games this year at safety. He was a grad transfer from Rice. Uh, he's been solid for them. Um, you know, I wouldn't say he's made a ton of huge plays yet, but somebody will have to step into that spot. Um, for, you know, for the most part, they've, they've been pretty banged up this past week. Uh, Casey Crosby, the tight end, who, um, you know, is a fairly decent part of their offense. Um, they're hoping they get him back this week as well. He's got a broken uh, – he had surgery on a broken finger that he suffered against Vanderbilt and did not play last week. So but they've got a number of guys that um, are either out or that they're kind of hopeful that they're going to get back this week. All right, Wes, last one for you. And uh, we, we kind of like to ask this always for road trips that maybe Missouri fans haven't made. And Missouri fans, like, is I this think – a food question? It is in, in large part a food question. But I think Columbia okay. is maybe the most underrated uh, – road trip that we've taken in the SEC. Game day atmosphere is awesome. The tailgating is great. But just for fans that are making their first trip, what, what should they do Friday night and, and where should they head maybe Saturday after the game? Obviously, it's going to be over by about, well, I don't know. The way these games go, it might be 5 o'clock. But, you know, at some point before dinner, this game's going to be over. So Friday and Saturday night, what should fans be doing in there out there in Columbia? Yeah, you know, I think uh, the Vista area, which is on Gervais Street, is kind of the – so five points is the one everybody knows about, I think, in Columbia, but that's much more like your very, very young crowd, your college crowd. Uh, the Vista is South Carolina's sort of um, restaurant, bar district area for, you know, your your little bit older crowd. Uh, Tent Roof is really, really cool if you want to go see a live band and, and hang out uh, the night before the game. Uh, but there's lots of good – the thing about the Vista, you just go down there, park, and then you can walk around and go to a number of different restaurants and bars, find whatever you want. Um, let's see. I think uh, food-wise, um, I'm going to give you all one nobody around here talks about, but to me, uh, I know one of your Twitter followers was asking about barbecue. Mm-hmm. True barbecue. Just T-R-U-E-B-B-Q. It's this little, like, hole-in-the-wall, hidden gem. It's in West Columbia, South Carolina, which is right outside of Columbia. And to me, it's the best barbecue in Columbia. It's awesome. And then Sunday morning for brunch, check out a place called the Cinnamon Roll Deli. They have uh, breakfast sandwiches that are amazing, and everybody, you get a cinnamon roll with every single meal you get, so you can get fattened up before you go back to, (laughs) you know, go back home. A a cinnamon roll with every order is a solid business plan. I like that. (laughs) Yes, uh, it, it has worked for them so far. You, you're, there's going to be a line out the door, but um, in my experience, it's worth it. They ha- they've only been there maybe a year or two, but it's probably the best uh, brunch option in Columbia, and there'll, there'll be a lot of people there, but it would, it'll be worth it. All right, Wes, appreciate it, man. We'll, uh, we'll see you on Saturday. Thanks, Wes. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, Wes Mitchell, GamecockCentral.com, and uh, we'll talk a little more about this one at the end. Got uh, a couple other things to take care of. First of all, once again, this week's podcast presented by Track My Implants, medical technology moving fast these days. If you have a medical device implanted in your knee, your shoulder, a hernia mesh, a pacemaker, anything like that, go to TrackMyImplants.com. You'll be able to learn if there's been a recall on that device. You'll get real-time notifications and you will be able to rest easy knowing that your medical devices are all working properly. And uh, so make sure to check out trackmyimplants.com. And now we're going to move on to the story of the year in the SEC and, and maybe, frankly, the story of the year in college football. 
That story is in Lexington, Kentucky, and the Kentucky Wildcats unbeaten this season just off the win over South Carolina. And we're going to talk to Jeff Drummond, who covers Kentucky football for and basketball for that matter. But right now, uh, football, the story in Lexington for Rivals.com. Jeff, how you doing, man? Hey, good. How are you guys doing today? Not too bad. I appreciate you uh, taking some time. And so we just kind of intro this saying this is the story of the year so far in the SEC. Kentucky might be the story of the year so far in college football. I mean, how excited are people in Lexington to to have this going on the way the Wildcats have played so far? Well, it probably gives you a pretty good indication that as good a team as John Calipari is expected to have (laughs) – uh, this year, UK, and they are flat-out loaded. You don't hear anybody talking about basketball <laughs> right now, any, anywhere. And that's pretty amazing with uh, Midnight Madness right around the corner. Yeah, that's unusual. Yeah, you actually stole one of my questions I was going to ask you is uh, whether, whether, despite all this, that once Midnight Madness tipped off, that uh, it would be, be back to basketball season again. But uh, obviously the story uh, for Kentucky this season has been running back Benny Snell. Uh, I think he just moved into some sort of uh, top 10 list all time, I think, in rushing yards or rushing touchdowns in the SEC. He's really good. He's only a junior. Um, uh, how uh, Just just how, how far can Benny Snell carry this team? Well, it's a, it's a great question and one that we've even had here, um, supposing that, you know, opposing defenses would just keep stacking the box more and more and more as his accolades piled up. But nobody's really been able to to quite figure out a way to do it just yet. He's an incredible player. He's got the a tremendous will. Uh, he plays with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's always looking for uh, some kind of edge from people sliding him. And, and from some – I don't know how it continues to happen, <laughs> but every team they play almost every week has somebody come out and say they're not really – all that impressed with Benny Snell, and that just kind of lights the fuse, and and there he goes again. But uh, you know, one of the, the underrated aspects of his success is how good their offensive line is, and in particular the interior guys, uh, Drake Jackson at center, and Bunchy Stallings, Logan Stenberg at guard. I, I know a lot of people who you know follow the game closely think that trio on the inside may be as good as anybody has in the whole country. And, uh, you know, having seen it up close uh, here week after week, I could kind of back that up. Those guys are just in there mauling uh, opposing defenses on a weekly basis. Hey, Jeff, you obviously are much closer to this than we are, so you correct me if this is wrong. But my my impression is everybody has been, you know, they beat Florida and everybody said, well, yeah, they beat Florida, but Florida's not any good. and. They beat Mississippi State, and yeah, but Mississippi State was overrated. Now, that South Carolina game, I think, has started to convert a lot of people, and they're at Texas A&M this week, and like we do SEC picks every week, and my first impression was, I don't know, I think I'll pick A&M, but then I'm like, at some point, I have to start believing that Kentucky is this good and and ignore the name. I think there's two things going on. First of all, it's the name on the front of the jersey. If it doesn't say Kentucky, a lot of people – probably think this team's better than it is second of all in the back of everybody's mind is there mark stoops has been really good for the first half of the seasons before not this good maybe but pretty good and they've had had trouble finishing so uh, which of those two factors do you think is kind of a bigger thing and people maybe being too slow to buy into this team yeah I, i do think there's a little bit of that going on there's also a little bit of that with you know 
concerning Benny Snell uh, amongst the Heisman uh, names that that pop up. He's he's still something of a, of a dark horse out there, probably because of the logo on his helmet. <laughs> mm-hmm. More than anything, we we think he'd be getting a lot more attention too if that were the case. But uh, it, you know, you keep waiting uh, to see if if people will fully you know buy into them and. In, in a way, I think the fans here and, and even the team, I know this is the case of Mark Stoops because he's kind of told us directly, they're they're okay with people continuing to doubt them and kind of pick against them because they have used it as as motivation and it's carried them through, you know, games like Florida and Mississippi State where they were a double-digit underdog, uh, you know, when the lines opened. Well, I, I do want to say, like, Ed Oliver still probably currently has my Heisman vote because of the bobblehead <laughs> I got from Houston, but I really enjoy the fact that Kentucky has started a site, snellyad.com. I, I think that's a fantastic marketing campaign. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. That's one that Benny actually rolled that out, I think, when he was a freshman. Oh, wow. wow. How much inner confidence this kid yeah. had. Uh, the, he would have Snell yell on his uh, wristbands and, on, on his tape and stuff like that. And they, they finally started to kind of push a little bit harder and, and, and promote him. I think they wanted to keep it in, in check a little bit when the season started as, so the focus didn't go, you know, squarely on him and maybe detract from the team and what they were trying to do. But now that he's had a good start and, uh, you know, he's closing in on some school records, they're doing some organized stuff behind him to kind of promote him and get him in that, uh, uh, list of uh, hopefully at least the finalists. I think if he keeps doing what he's doing, but uh, as of now, he's still kind of on the outside looking in as a dark horse. That's cool. Perhaps we need to make ourselves a, a hype slogan of some sort. Yeah, I'll just make one for myself and wait to see how long till it catches on. Yeah, uh, Jeff, uh, I, I know obviously you know Benny Snell and that that offensive line have been great, but also you know Kentucky's uh, Kentucky's won some games uh, because of its defense uh, for sure. You know, forced turnovers, four turnovers against South Carolina last week. Um, I know Josh Allen is kind of one of the uh, one of the underrated maybe stars in the SEC. Uh, you know, who else on that defense is is kind of a, a name that that people should get familiar with? Well, they're getting it done from from so many different guys. It, it it is truly you know it sounds like a cliche, but it is a team effort over there. They've got Josh Allen, who's who's the clear cut star and the, the potential uh, NFL first round draft pick. Um, coming up next year but the other guys uh, you know they're using a platoon kind of system on the defensive line they've got about six or seven guys that are rotating in and out on the defensive line and all of them are playing at a really high level right now and that's really the main difference for Kentucky compared to Kentucky in the past is they have never had uh, really strong defensive line play I've been you know following the team more than 30 years now and that's always been the kind of the main separator from Kentucky and the better teams in the SEC is that defensive line play. And I would credit all those guys in there that they're using for, for making the biggest uh, difference. And and on the back end, they are very uh, experienced and, and skilled and talented on the back end. They've got a couple of really long, big corners that are frustrating people. And uh, Chris Westry and Derek Beatty and Lonnie Johnson, they're all like NFL-sized big physical corners. And, and the safeties are, you know, grading out high week after week. Darius West 
is playing great back there. And Mike Edwards is another guy who gets mentioned as a possible high NFL draft pick. So it's really been uh, kind of a culmination of all the good recruiting they've been doing. You know, Mark Stoops has stacked strong recruiting class after recruiting class on top of each other. And they've gotten these guys to kind of stick around and buy in. And as a unit, you know, they're playing defense like we haven't seen here and in decades. (laughs) Well, if the SEC did things the way they should, and I actually advocate for this, there's a set of Alabama awards. You just give all the awards to Alabama because (laughs) they're better than everybody else and it's not close. Then the non-Alabama All-SEC awards, like I think Kentucky would have the offensive and the defensive players of the year right now in in Snell and and in Josh Allen. But this is is a huge prove-it week for Kentucky. I mean, they go to College Station and, and the Aggies have lost twice, but they were relatively competitive against Alabama. They took Clemson down to a missed two-point conversion in College Station. But uh, first off, Jeff, have you ever been to College Station? Has Kentucky played down there at all? No, this this will be the first time, which is a a little weird. You know, they've been in the league since 2012 now, and Kentucky's playing a league opponent for the first time, you know, in six or seven years. So uh, it'll be a new experience for for everybody on that staff. And and Mark Stoops even said Monday, he said this is a little bit like preparing for a non-conference game because they don't have a whole lot of familiarity with with the Aggies and what they do. They're looking at more – uh, you know, Florida State stuff than, than Texas A&M. Yeah, it's a, it's a different place. And I did want to ask you about something. I saw you tweet that Mark Stoops said on the, the teleconference that Kyle Field is at or near the to, uh, top of the toughest venues in college football. And, like, I have said this for because, obviously, we're pretty familiar with A&M going back to Big 12 days. I have said for years if I could, you know, buy A&M for what I think they're worth and sell them for what everybody else thinks they're worth every August, I would, like, retire because Kyle Field has this reputation. And don't get me wrong, like, they pack it. it it's it's a little bit crazy. The press box sways. But here are their records at home against Power 5 teams. Since Johnny Manziel left, they're 5-10. and 10. Since joining the SEC, they're 9-14. and 14. And this century, they're 36-41 and 41 at home against Power 5 teams. Like, it's a big place with a lot of fans, but they haven't really been that good. <laughs> yeah, I, I I saw that tweet, and it, it's very interesting the the way the stats play out. But you know, when when you think about it too, they they played a lot of good people. Yeah, a lot of those uh, losses there. are Alabama, Auburn, things like that. But yeah, I mean the SEC West has has a lot to do with that. Uh, you know, if they were over in the East, it might it might be a different story uh, with with those numbers. But I think the the point that I hear from most people is that they have a great fan base that really shows up and really gets loud and packs that place kind of supports their team, but it's not quite maybe as nasty or as intimidating as an LSU or a Florida, uh, you know, to go into those. <laughs> uh, Jeff, uh, we're going to get a, get ahead of ourselves for a quick second, which I know, uh, you know, we, we would know we would never do as a, uh, you know, uh, upstanding beat reporters, but uh, if if say Kentucky uh, gets out of uh, A and M with a win and uh, and you know goes on to win, wins the next couple games and hosts Georgia when they're still undefeated, that's the biggest game in Lexington, Kentucky since when ever? That's a pretty big one. Probably you would have to go back to two thousand seven uh, when uh, LSU came in number one and, and Kentucky actually won that game on a hail mary, uh, Kentucky- right? 
Uh, no, Kentucky won this one in, uh, I think it was right? triple yeah. overtime. Oh, okay. Okay. Had, a, had a big defensive stand at the end of that one. And LSU went on to win the national championship. So we still remind our my LSU <laughs> friends, you know, Kentucky still owned you that year, even though you're national <laughs> champs. But uh, it, it's probably the biggest one in at least, you know, 11 years going back to that one. All right, Jeff, we'll get you out of here with this. So it, Kentucky's 5-0 and for the first time in, I don't know, like, 400 years or something like that. Uh, it, I mean, the schedule is, hey, they're at A&M. Vanderbilt visits Lexington. They're here in Columbia. Georgia visits. What's a realistic – sitting 5-0, and what's mm-hmm. a realistic end to this season to you based on the team you've seen on the field? Well, you, you know, it's interesting with that. You, you mentioned earlier that Mark Stoops has gotten out of the gates quickly at times in the past, and they've kind of – floundered down the stretch i think the schedule actually sets up for them to build on their success uh this season uh they they had some of their tougher matchups and and bigger challenges on the front end of the schedule and i include texas a&m in with that if they're able to find a way to go down there and win. Uh, but the second half of the schedule is is pretty manageable and you know people are even taking a look at that georgia game and and looking at who georgia has to play uh, before and after it, I don't have it right here in front of me, so I may mix up the opponents. But, you know, the, Georgia's biggest rival, Florida, and uh, I think they've got a game against Auburn or LSU afterward. So it, it, it falls in one of those situations where it could be a bit of a trap uh, for the Bulldogs unless, you know, maybe Kentucky is still undefeated at the time right. and it gets hyped to the point where that's clearly a game that has their full focus. But, you know, I think it, it's not outside the realm of possibility to see this team as a, a nine or ten win team. All right, Jeff. We'll appreciate it. We'll certainly be uh, paying attention to what they do in College Station, and then maybe setting up a, a pretty big game here in a couple of weeks. So we'll talk to you down the road. All right, anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Jeff Drummond, CatsIllustrated dot com on the Rivals dot com network. And like, look, I, I I admit I haven't seen Kentucky play because I wanted to watch <laughs> them play two games. And that was, uh, I forget, I think Missouri played at the same time as the Florida game because we were watching the score in the press conference. That was when Missouri was playing Wyoming. But Mississippi State and South Carolina, I wanted to watch both those games. And by the time I was at a point I could turn them on, like they were over. Kentucky had already won those games. Like, this is a legitimately good team. This is the big, the game on Missouri's schedule that has swung the most, in my opinion, since the season started from, oh, that needs to be a win to, Oh, Missouri might be an underdog now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially if Kentucky were to win at Texas A&M this week, because then yeah. they just have a uh, Vanderbilt between playing Missouri. So, obviously, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I'll admit, I, I'm very surprised that the Kentucky is is five and zero. I've I've followed you know Kentucky football growing up because I grew up in Kentucky, and and this is just, I mean, like they they're. Never, this doesn't they've never been good. This doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. Um, so so it's been interesting to uh, to watch and and just kind of like you know I I, I think it's kind of a. Uh, kind of a you know a, a selling point for you know all these college football fans really want to, they want instant success and they want to you know they want to run their coach out of town after a few bad seasons you know in Kentucky the fans were preoccupied enough with basketball that that, <laughs> right. uh, that Mark Stoops got a few years and he he really got to you know build 
stack recruiting classes on top of each other and incorporate, you know, kind of the culture he wants and, and into the team. And then, you know, we'll see how it ends up, but it looks like it might be kind of, you know, finally paying off. So I think that's definitely something that, that you know, schools that don't have the uh, the traditional, you know, powers, the advantages of, of like a, you know, an Alabama or whatever that can, can, can look to and see you know, as a model. So, obviously, more people will care about what we think about Missouri and South Carolina <laughs> probably than they do what we think about Kentucky. Like, we were talking before this. I Honestly, my pick in this game could just come down to me, like, flipping a coin. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting that, like, I, I feel like I can learn more about this game than most because I don't know what to expect at all. Like, yeah. you know, you go into the Georgia game like, oh, you know— if, we could learn if Mizzou wins somehow or is really good. But, like, you know, we pretty much knew it was going to happen. This, this, I could see it going a wide variety of different ways. And, and so I think it's a good test for Missouri. You don't very often see a game where you'd say this. I will not be shocked if either team wins by three touchdowns. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think or it, if it's a three-point game. <laughs> right, right. I think, it, yeah, I mean, I think the teams are pretty evenly matched. But I think I could, I could see, you know, both have – kind of had issues with with mistakes this season you know one team makes a couple and the other makes them play and makes them pay and snatches momentum and you know it could be just like like last year's game in columbia so it'll be interesting i i think they're evenly matched but i i don't necessarily know what to predict well yeah and and i said this on our our site on monday but here's what we fail to recognize when we talk about seasons and predict games and stuff like that seasons come down to like six plays Mm -hmm. you know i i mean every Every team that's five and seven at the end of the year looks and goes, well, we were three plays from eight and four. Right. But what you don't look at is you were three plays from three and nine. Mm-hmm. You know, games swing on, I mean, if you change that Debo Samuel kickoff, I really think Missouri was better than South Carolina or as good as South Carolina last mm-hmm. year. But it didn't happen, and they lost the game. Um, you know, Georgia, that game swung on two or three plays. Mm-hmm. This game is going to swing on two or three plays, uh, especially evenly matched games. We have no idea how it's going to turn out. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, just want to address one other thing that we had on our site yesterday. That is uh, that Missouri at least reached out to Clemson transfer Kelly Bryant about transferring to Missouri for his final year of eligibility. Like, I've, I've tried to say this. I want to say this as clearly as I possibly can, and I hope everybody listens to this. When you take a junior college quarterback, that is a clear sign you're not sold. Your next quarterback is on the roster. When that junior college quarterback sinks to fourth string and then you contact a grad transfer, this is not us hating Micah Wilson or Taylor Powell. This is like use common sense. Missouri's not sure they're starters on the team. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, we've said this before, too. It's it's very possible that one of those guys could surprise when they start running with the first team or whatever. But I mean, like. You would be you'd be silly not to at least kick the tires on a guy like Kelly Bryant. I mean, he you know he's he he almost he led Clemson to the college football playoff last year, and and uh, I don't think it's it's that crazy to say that he might be better than Taylor Powell. And and the other thing is, okay, if they figure out, hey, Kelly Bryant's going to have eighty-seven options, and he's not coming here. This isn't going to be the only grad transfer quarterback they look at. Yeah, absolutely. No, there there will be more options. Uh, you know, come the off season, so we expect them to to definitely shop around a little bit. So, uh, yeah, Columbia, South Carolina, 11-8. Well, noon by the time we get there on mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday morning. We have no idea what to expect, <laughs> which is kind of nice because, it like, is. next time we do this podcast, 
I think we're going to know what to expect. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. I feel like I feel like I can. This is like an opportunity to to learn a lot more about about this Missouri team and get a better idea of where they're headed this year. So uh, appreciate you guys listening. Once again, want to thank Track My Implants, TrackMyImplants.com, this week's podcast sponsor. So check that out. Uh, Mitchell and I will be on the road to the other Columbia tomorrow morning, and uh, who knows? Something's going to happen in the next 48 hours, so we'll be back to talk about it next week.